Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the 25th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and I can't believe time flies so fast as we're at the number 25, which is a special number, and I wanted to have a special guest. Uh, this show usually features uh, athletes, coaches, and or executives that are retired, but this is a special version because it features someone that is going to be a legendary coach, and it features someone that has do, is already doing legendary activism and things off the court. And he was a star player at Santa Clara University, along with Hall of Famer Steve Nash. After playing professionally overseas, he paid his dues in player development and assistant coaching for over a decade in the National Basketball Association with the Cleveland Cavaliers, Golden State Warriors, Memphis Grizzlies, and Philadelphia 76ers before becoming a head coach for the Atlanta Hawks in 2018. Uh, he's developed a young nucleus on the Hawks that are ready to make an impact in the near future, led by Trey Young and John Collins. But just as important, as I mentioned before, uh, he's an activist, especially in the Atlanta community, and has spearheaded a new committee within the National Basketball Coaches Association on racial injustice and reform. It is my pleasure to present Coach Lloyd Pierce on where they at. How are you, sir? Good. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It is a lot to talk about and everything. And and the first question I wanted to ask you, you know, like, how is your family doing through this COVID-19 uh, pandemic, which unfortunately has seen spikes, you know, like uh, the curve has is, is gone up, unfortunately. And also um, through the strife that's going on in this country, it's been a very eventful four months, to say the least. How's your family holding up? Yeah, no, we're we're doing well. Um, obviously, kind of an odd time for everybody being sheltered in, and we've tried to be as as disciplined as we can. You know, I I don't think um, you know the perception of things getting better or places being better hasn't really changed for us. You know, we aren't going to restaurants and out in public places. We've mm -hmm. had a lot of quality family time and a lot around the house, doing some things at the park and walking through the neighborhood. You know. Um, that's been the blessing is just being able to do that. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to wait it out and try and be as disciplined as we can um, throughout all of this. Yes, sir. And it's all, all about discipline. And and uh, and that's what you that's what you accentuate with with as as a leader, you know, and, and also from how you live your life as well. And now the, the NBCA Committee on Racial Injustice and Reform, you know, how did that come about and how were you able to deliver your message and influence the action by the NBCA? Because you spearheaded that committee to be started. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a collection of, of conversations from myself and a lot of other assistant coaches, African-American assistant coaches that I communicate with on a regular basis. And, you know, when, when you have a crew and you have a group of guys that, you know, you're in, in, in close proximity in terms of how often you speak and communicate with one another on good things, bad things, you know, non-essential things, essential things, uh, it's kind of what we do over text. Uh, when we have opportunities and the conversation really spurred from from those interactions with those guys, you know, their frustrations, their anger, uh, their feelings during the, you know, watching George Floyd that week, watching Amy Cooper that week. And because of those conversations, it, it really just led me to reach out to our our head of our coaches association, which is David Fogle. Yes, and our great, head, great, head man. Coach, great man, great um, man, for sure. Rick, Rick Carlisle. 
good uh, friend of mine. Like he's a jazz guy too. So yeah, that's, a, right. that's our bond. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I think uh, the connection, reaching out to those two guys and really expressing to them how a lot of people were feeling and, and wanting to be the voice for a lot of people uh, is how we were able to get all the 30 coaches, all 30 head coaches together and, and um, really just kind of let some things out, kind of air some things out about what's going on in our world, uh, how it affects me, how it affects us as African-American men, and more importantly, um, what we could try and do about it with our platform, with our reach, uh, because mm-hmm. we do coach a lot of African-American men. Yes. Our league is 75% African-Americans. And, you know, we have a huge platform. We have a huge opportunity to address it to our players and educate them on what's going on, but also to listen, to listen and, and hear some of their concerns and needs and thoughts about what we can do moving forward um, to not just be athletes and not just be coaches and not just be a professional sports uh, league, but but really be about our communities and, and try and impact change as best we can. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, here on the 25th edition of Where They At with current Atlanta Hawks coach Lloyd Pierce, one of the bright young minds in the National Basketball Association. And uh, Coach Pierce, um, this is deep, what you said. You ended your uh, speech at the NWACP rally in Atlanta recently stating, I was born a black man. I'm going to die a black man, but I do not want to die because I am a black man. And uh, elaborate more on the impactful and thorough plan and action that you're taking in the community that's motivated by those, by that real and haunting statement. And um, it's, it's, and it's in all of our souls. It's in my soul and it's in your soul. It's in many black uh, male souls. So talk about the action that you're taking that's that, that is motivated really by that, I mean, by that poignant um, statement you made to end that speech. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's, it's more about the understanding as an African-American man, as an African-American, um, you know, you're, you're weary, you're, you're conscious of, of, you know, things that could be of harm to you because of your skin color. Me, I'm 6'3", almost 200 pounds. So I'm also considered a threat because of mm-hmm. you know, my size mm-hmm. as an African-American male. And so I, I don't take that lightly. And there's an understanding of that. And I, and I don't think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of white people understand that. Um, I don't think, you know, I think all African-American men, you know, when you come of certain age, understand how you're perceived publicly, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's... Um, you know, whether it's something you see on TV or an, an encounter you have in an all white neighborhood um, or just in an unfamiliar area. You know, if you're just on on travel, if you're traveling somewhere and you just end up somewhere that, you know, is not your home and, you know, you run into strangers. You, you know, you were six for me, six, three male, African-American male in an unfamiliar territory. I can be perceived as a threat if I'm not known. Yes. I've always known that. We've always known that. Um, and so that statement was more about the concern that we have as, as African-Americans um, because there is a perception of uh, being the wrong guy or being, uh, you know, what's the word, you know, judged as you're going through a neighborhood mm-hmm. or through a mall right. or through a store. And, and that fear leads you to what could happen. 
Yep. The stereotype. Yeah. The stereotype, not necessarily what happens to you, but it's the possibility that it could happen because it's happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a real fear. And that's a real fear that I, I think a lot of white America does not understand. You know, we're not fighting to be uh, better than or more opportunities. We're fighting so that people understand that that's a real fear because people really treat us that way. And we have to go through our lives understanding that and trying to survive. Uh, and, and that's, it shouldn't be that way. You know, if you're going to talk about all lives matter and you're going to talk about equal rights and, and you don't have that kind of fear where we're not on the same page. We're on a yes. different wavelength. If you don't understand that I have that fear and you don't, then we don't, there's a lot of other things that come because of that. That's right. But disconnect. Um, mm-hmm. And so because of that disconnect, it's important for us to express the differences of oppression, the differences in the stereotypes, the differences in opportunity. Um, when you start moving into you know, the economic opportunity, the healthcare opportunity, education opportunity, the access to, to jobs and, and position. We're still just personally dealing with, just don't look at me as a threat. <laughs> look mm-hmm. at me as a person. And then let's talk about how I can even walk into a room and have that same sense of belonging that, that white America has and how I can walk into a room and be perceived as uh, more than what you see because of my color. Um, there's mm-hmm. such a huge disconnect that we all understand that white America needs to understand before we can start thinking about talking about solutions uh, so that I never have to make a statement like that. And, mm-hmm. and that's really the statement is about understand that that's a real fear and thought in my mind. And if you don't understand that, you need to educate or be educated on why I'm saying that. Wow. No, that's that that's true and that's facts and and that type of um it's it's empathy, you know, it's empathy and and learning, you know, that that's the thing and listening because you know, as as you I'm sure you said this, we have two ears and one mouth. I'm sure you said this <laughs> as a coach, you know, about listening and that's important and it's listening not just with your ears but your with your heart too. Um now, you know, we've never seen the exposure of Juneteenth like we've seen this year. And as a youngster in San Jose, California, you attended events that, that, were, um, that were a tribute to Juneteenth yearly. And, um, and San Jose, is uh, that's where Tommy Smith and John Carlos, that's where they were running. You know, I think they went right. to San Jose State, San Jose I believe. State. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. So, um, you know, June 19th, 1865 is a day. That's deep because I, I still can't believe that two and a half years later, it took for, for our ancestors to know that they were free. That's a whole nother story, um, you know, another show. But, uh, you know, all Americans, you know, you know, need to understand the end of that chapter and it affects everyone till this day. You know, how will making this holiday help everyone comprehend the continuous plight of Black Americans? Well, I mean, first, I think it's... it's it's unfortunate that Juneteenth is becoming popular because of a pandemic and yes, yes. a racial pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, as a black American, you, you, I grew up celebrating Juneteenth. Um, yes, indeed. Most of my, most of my childhood. So it's almost shocking for me to realize how unimportant Juneteenth is for the rest of our country. And, you know, we celebrate Cinco de Mayo as if it's a national holiday. Yes. 
Yeah. And guess and what? And Cinco de Mayo's is celebrated the wrong way, too. I know. It's, you know? it's the ACC Septiembre, which is the, the real Independence Day for, for Mexico. I lived in Mexico for two years and, oh. and learned that, you know, you know, they don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo. They celebrate the ACC de Septiembre, mm-hmm. uh, which is their Independence Day. That's right. Um, but it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's shocking as you come to realize the unimportance of Juneteenth and emancipation of, of the slaves in our country um, in 1865 as the first time you're hearing about it for a lot mm-hmm. of white America. And mm-hmm. to all of a sudden elevate it to this national holiday type approach, like now moving forward, we will, it shows how far we have to go to really understand the plight um, or the understand the history of African-Americans in our country. Because if we're just now realizing Juneteenth and and, and acknowledging it as a way to celebrate and learn, (laughs) how many other things have we missed or stepped over or ignored throughout this time, which really need to be addressed? And, And we have to address those things. And so, you know, it's step by step by step. And it's one thing. Uh, but it also shows the ignorance and, and, and the um, lack of importance that have been placed upon African-Americans and the history of African-Americans in our country. Um, so, you know, I kind of have a mixed bag in, in how you, you celebrate or how we celebrated Juneteenth last week, because it's, it's like, oh, it's, it's very reactionary. It's like, oh, you know, now the thing is we better celebrate Juneteenth or we're going to be, you know, we're going to be cast off as, as being on the wrong side. So let's make this a national holiday. Let's celebrate this. Let's make this important, um, which is great. But I think it just shows like we have so much more that we need to honor, celebrate, talk about, educate ourselves on. And, and it's not all going to be good. It's not all going to be about the emancipation of slavery. Because then we have to talk about what came after that, which was the Reconstruction period and, and all of the issues that occurred for, for the African-Americans here in this country. Uh, because they thought they were free and because they were taken advantage of. Um, so there, there's that history that also needs to follow up when you talk about 1865 and the 12 years that occurred immediately after. Um, so, I, But that education is important. That acknowledgement of that education is important. And then the follow-up is really what we're trying to do with the coaches committee. We, we want to follow up on, on keeping the conversation alive. Yes, we've celebrated Juneteenth and we acknowledge that. Now what else has happened since 1865 that we need to acknowledge? <laughs> oh my God. And that's, and that's yeah. you know, that's kind of why we've reached out and we've been educated by a lot of different sources. Brian Stevenson from, from Equal Justice Initiative has been, yes. you know, kind of a true leader for, for all of us and, and his wisdom and his fight and what they do at the Equal, at EJI. Um, and so we're, you know, we're reaching out because we want to make sure that we can partner with, connect with people that will not only educate us, but, but really have a strong platform and an ability to connect to the masses in the way that we need to keep this conversation alive. Yes, no question. Wow, 25th edition of Where They At, special number 25, and a special guest I have in uh, Coach Lloyd Pierce uh, of the Atlanta Hawks, head coach at Atlanta Hawks. And Coach Pierce, uh, you have an ability to connect, and that's so important. That's something that my parents put instilled in me, to be able to connect with all types of people. Any, from any race, any gender, from any setting. Um, and how has that cultivated you to be the leader and communicator that you are today? 
Well, you mentioned earlier, I grew up in San Jose. Uh, and, you know, if you know anything about the Bay Area, it's a, it's a huge melting pot. That's right. Uh, you know, I was on a Zoom call with my high school and junior high buddy's daughter, uh, who's in high school now. And wow. she invited me to speak to their, their um, men's and women's basketball team. And she's Filipino. They're Filipino. My buddy Omar Ventura, mm. his daughter Kennedy, they're Filipino. And I grew up kind of, that's my crew, a bunch of Filipinos in San Jose. And on the call, there was some Tongans, some Filipinos, um, Mexican-Americans. One of my other, <laughs> it's a small world, one of my other junior high buddies, um, his stepdaughter was on the call. So George Cruz hopped on and said hello. And so, you know, this was who I grew up around. I grew up with a lot of Mexican-Americans, a lot of Asian-Americans, a lot of uh, Filipino-Americans, mm-hmm. uh, Tongan and Samoan-Americans. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, that's my upbringing, you know, in addition to being around African-Americans and, 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 and white Americans. That was my upbringing all through all the way through high school. So I'm used to being around people of different cultures and different backgrounds and and learning different languages and and, and you know like I said I lived in New Mexico and, and and grew up around Mexican Americans my entire life. So when you have to interact with uh, with different people and different races and different wealth classes and different demographics and different areas, you know you don't I don't I, I've never approached it that way. I I've never felt uncomfortable um, in, in most settings, you know, it's, it's me approaching it the same way I've always approached it. You know, you get to know people and you get to know them and their backgrounds and their history and their cultural lifestyle and things of that nature. So this setting is, is kind of how I grew up, uh, and, 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 you know, trying to learn more about people than you just present yourself and, you know, everybody's the same. We're not all the same. We're different. That's we, right. we have a right to be different. And part of our growth is understanding the difference and embracing the difference. Um, and it's not all going to be pleasant as we're talking about with the African-American plight and the history of the African-Americans. Um, as we've been trying to ascend and, and, and you know, be enriched in this country, uh, we also need to understand why it's such a, such a climb for us to, to, to reach that. You know, we're overcoming so much because of the color of our skin and because of, um, lack of opportunities. But I think when people embrace and understand our history, they say, wow, you know, you know, we see why African-Americans consider themselves to be resilient and survivors and have that kind of that approach to life. Uh, I think that's that's how you get to know people and you get to interact. So I don't I don't mind interacting with with different races and different cultures because I've done that my entire life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, that, and that's the key for sure. And 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 coach now. You talked about the crew, you know, having a bond. It's before, you know, like Santa Clara, that's what was developed with your teammates, you know, to have a crew, to have a bond that's beyond basketball. And uh, how do you implement that with your young Hawks team? Um, You know, that's that's the beauty of it. Um, We spend a lot of time talking about how to connect. and how connecting helps you develop greater chemistry on the court. And so our connection is, you know, we do something called a breakfast club where each guy, you know, once a month, once every three weeks, whatever it may be, they get an opportunity to speak to their teammates um, and our coaching staff about who they are and, and what they like and, you know, where they're from, whatever the topic they choose. So, and, you know, we've had guys speak about, um, 
you know, one of our guys a couple of years ago was from, from the Ukraine and he was able to speak about um, his experience growing up in the Ukraine and, and why he was unable to go back to the Ukraine for seven years. We've had Jeremy Lynn, who was on our team two years ago, you know, speak about the divide and disconnect or not disconnect, but the, 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 the difficulty in him uh, embracing, you know, either the Chinese, Chinese, Taiwan, Chinese, I don't know how you say it. Mm-hmm. He's um has a Chinese background and a Taiwanese background, mm-hmm. although he was born in the United States. Yep. And he can never play international basketball because he can't really alienate China and pick Taiwan and vice versa. Yeah. So he yeah. chooses a lot of history to, there. Chooses yep. not to pick either. And 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 it's his it's a detriment to him because he won't get to play any sort of national basketball because he doesn't want to uh be alienated by one country over the other. Wow. So you know, the education of hearing stories like that from our guys and all of our guys have done it. Uh, but to hear about their background, their interests, uh, things of, of importance to them is how you how you cultivate, how you how you develop chemistry. Um, and that helps you on the court. That helps you want to go to battle with a guy when you know a little bit more about him. Wow. And uh, coach, I wanted to to talk about there's a young player that is the leader of your team on and off the court. And I want to play something really quickly that was um, stated about this young man by Dikembe Mutombo, who, um, who is paramount when it comes to community service and what he has done. Just, it's been amazing. So here we go. This is the first time where we see our players are cutting million, million dollars check. I'll give you just an example in the city of Atlanta. We have a player like a Trey Young who just gave a million dollar check a couple of weeks ago to the community. So these are the example uh, of our DNA. We believe on giving back and uh, our players are getting it. Um, they, they're following the best example of the Dikembe Mutombo. <laughs> So that was um, right there, Dikembe Motembo, like citing Trey Young, who's a, another Atlanta Hawk. And, and, and from the standpoint of being a legend like Dikembe Mutombo, Trey Young is heading in that direction. Um, how great is it to have a leader like that, to have someone that's the face of a franchise that, that is just doing exemplary work off the court? Yeah, you know, I think for every young player, there's an education that comes along with, with the success on the court. And, you know, Trey, I believe is 21 and, and really learning the, the business side and the philanthropic side and the education of the NBA as a professional and, and what that platform, you know, what it holds, what, what responsibilities come with having that platform as being a guy that's a face of a franchise, an all-star, things of that nature. And, um, you know, I applaud his efforts. I think he's taken the right approach uh, uh, doing not only stuff here in Atlanta, but but a lot of things in his hometown in Norman, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's building, a, I believe, a complex, a gym for the community for guys to work out, such as himself and his, his younger brother and, and, and mm-hmm. other members of the community that, that have a place that they can develop their basketball game, which is which right. is huge. And probably after school activities, I'm sure too. Right. right. I mean, that other ways. To, mm-hmm. And you think of the big picture. You know, you're you're giving kids opportunities and keeping them off the street, and that's yes, how sir. I look at it. Yes, sir. Um, but he's doing things here in the city of Atlanta. Um, he's being exposed to more and more. You know, he's taking an active role right now in the players' association and learning about 
the players' stance and positioning in our league and, 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 and the voice that they have and the power of that voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're being educated that way and you dive yourself in and put yourself out there um, where you're doing more for others and learning about the ins and outs of the business, it, it's only going to help you uh, grow and mature. And at 21, you know, those are, it's a lot to handle. It's a lot to ask, but I, but I applaud his effort and his commitment to, to wanting to, to even put himself in that position to do those type of things. Wow. Here with uh, Atlanta Hawks head coach, Lloyd Pierce on the 25th edition of where they at. My name is Nabate Isles and, and coach um, Vince Carter just announced his retirement and uh, it's funny, he's, he's our age, <laughs> basically. Right. So um, right. how, how did he really set an example for the youngsters as well as um, really able to support putting your message out there as that vet? You know, just a, just a great pro. Um, obviously, when you play 22 years, you do anything for 22 <laughs> years. Um, you've earned the respect of your peers. You've earned the respect in the industry. And and he's obviously done that. He's done it at a high level. Uh, He's done it behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and he's been consistent with everything that he's done. You you go through the many teams that he's played on and the many teammates that he's had and coaches that he's played for. And they'll all say the same thing, Um, you know, low maintenance, high character and, 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 you know, still able to get things done on the court. And, you know, you applaud, the, the effort that, that Vince showed in 22 seasons playing in the National Basketball Association. And for me, for two years, having him here to finish his career was a, was a treat. Um, you get to see his, his expertise, his professionalism, his interaction with a young team, and his commitment to, to really carry out our, our message as coaches uh, of how we can help grow this organization and the culture and the spirit of this organization moving forward. He knew when he, when he signed here two years ago that he wasn't a part of the end game, uh, but he wanted to contribute to the beginning, the beginning of how we set this culture off and this organization off. So we're headed in the right direction because of his leadership and his mentorship. Yes, indeed. And, uh, and coach USA basketball, you're an assistant for USA basketball. How special is that for you when Jerry Corlangelo, who's, who was a guest on, on, on um, where they at 10th episode of where they at, yeah. but how special was it when Jerry Corlangelo called you to be a part of the coaching staff and, and it shows the respect that, that he has for you. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's an honor, you know, to, to be included in anything where, you know, we have a collection of men that are going to the Olympics to represent our country. Um, you know, that's the ultimate, I think, in sport is, you know, we, we have our league and we get it, uh, but not everyone gets that opportunity to go to the Olympics. I'm still waiting for it. You know, we've been postponed because of the coronavirus. Yes. And, uh, next How- summer, we'll, we'll get the chance to do it, hopefully. Um, that's right. But okay. to me, you know, it's a, it's a lifetime experience. Uh, my daughter will be a little bit older and she'll understand, mm-hmm. you know, Japan and Olympics and things yes. of that nature a little bit better when she's closer to three than now. So maybe there's a silver lining in it. You're going to take her. So you're going to take her out. Oh, there. yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, indeed. No, Tokyo is the greatest city. It's like New York. I'm a New Yorker. So it's like New yeah. York with etiquette. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> you know, I've been like, to Tokyo before. It's just yes. it, it's a clean city. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. city. Um, it's got a great culture. And I really, I really look forward to just the activity, the experience of being at the Olympics. And, mm-hmm. 
And so I take it with a, a tremendous amount of pride. I think it's going to be a great opportunity um, to not only connect with the coaches and continue to learn and grow for myself, but really to, to, to be on that stage uh, representing our country and, and trying to do it the right way um, collectively. Um, you know, you don't get many opportunities to come together for something that, that's about everyone else. Our, our, our mission is, is to, to encourage, provide hope, and, and really come together for our country and our fans of, of basketball. And, and I, look for that. I look forward to that opportunity next summer. No doubt. And LeBron James, I'm sure that I, I, I have a feeling he's going to to be a part of this team. And I know you have a, a relationship with LeBron. So um, talk about how his presence on that team can really magnify, especially, you know, having to be delayed and everything. And it will be a different, uh, different aesthetic with the Olympics this time around. Yeah. You know, I, I think um... – I think when you have a unique experience like the Olympics and, and when guys get the opportunity, it, it doesn't matter. R regardless, I think there's an appreciation to being selected and an honor to playing for an Olympic team. I, I think there's probably going to be a greater appreciation next summer because, you know, it's become a little fragile. You know, mm -hmm. the Olympics were passed up this summer and we're all hopeful that we can do it next summer. And if we are able to do it, I think we're all going to be extremely appreciative of that honor and that, that commitment and that privilege. And so you'll see, you're going to see a, a tremendous amount of pride on the court by the guys that get the opportunity to represent our country in, in Tokyo. And, and I think, you know, he's, especially late in his career, um, if this is his last opportunity or some of the other guys, if it is their last opportunity, I think you'll see an even enhance and increase uh, sense of pride as they're on the court and doing it, knowing it for the last time. So I, I'm just I'm excited for the opportunity. I know it's a ways away, but I really think it could be one of the most memorable experiences uh, having the Olympics again with a lot of guys that will be extremely prideful of being on that team. Yes, and for the for the audience, listening audience that don't know, you were assistant coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers and player development, uh, uh, also in player development from 2007-2010, which was uh, part of LeBron's first stint with Cleveland. Um, now, sir, your take on the age limit possibly being lowered to 18 in a couple of years, you know, because you have a young team. What's your take on on once again – uh, with the G League, you know, young players coming out of high school being part of the G League, they can be able to go right to the G League at 18 years old. And then eventually high school is being drafted uh, into the NBA and the G League being used as a minor leagues, you know. So what's your take on the age limit being lowered and how the league is continuing to be younger and younger? You know, because you've been involved in the league for over a decade. Yeah, I mean, with regards to the younger guys, I, I do – applaud the the efforts of the NBA uh, in terms of increasing the opportunity you know adding adding um, some more incentives so that some of these younger guys if, if they choose not to go to college don't have to go overseas and, and, and have the ability to stay local to stay stay state bound and uh, continue through the development league and and give themselves an opportunity heading into the NBA the following season uh, so I think that's a tremendous step. I think expanding the in incentives, increasing the incentives to keep our young players here and then giving them an opportunity to fully develop, um, you know, very similar to the NBA in, in terms of, you know, the age limit being reduced. 
you know, it's benefited a lot of players. Um, you know, I think some, as, as in everything, some guys have struggled, you know, coming out too early and too young, but it's also benefited a lot of our young superstars and our, our superstars in our league. LeBron obviously being one. Kobe Bryant was, was one of the first tremendous guys to really make that jump. Kevin Garnett as well. Mm-hmm. So you go further and further down the line in the history of our sport, recent history of our sport, and you see that there's been a lot of young guys that have come into our league and really have been um, – um, historical figures in terms of their their contribu- contributions to the league. Uh, I just hope I don't have to take too many more young guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, I hope we I hope we get to a point where where we can advance and we're relying on um, you know needing that next piece uh, in our quest for championships. Uh, we, we've got a lot of young guys that we're developing, and we're ready to make the next jump as an organization. And uh, you know to have quality talent is, is extremely important. But I think uh, we also are at a point where we're developing our guys and our guys are pretty much um, ready to make that jump. And that's, and that's what we're focused on right now. So, you know, a lot of times you end up with a lot of young guys because you're, you, you know, you're in that rebuild mode. And I think we're coming out of that. I hope we're coming out of that. And we're looking for some vets as well to start joining us. Well, absolutely. And, uh, and coach Pierce, the bubble is happening. Uh, very, Whew, very interesting situation with the bubble and 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 the 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 um the protocols that have to be met for everyone to be safe you know yep. especially in a state of florida it's taking place in orlando but the state of florida where you're seeing a rise in in coronavirus cases um now in the bubble you're not the hawks won't be a part of it but i i think I think it's kind of a good thing for you to be able to kind of recalibrate and, and be able to do your activism as well, you know, and also be able to be in communication with your team and get them ready, sharp, mentally sharp. Um, but overall with the bubble, do you see a team, cause the circumstances are different, neutral courts. Do you see a team emerging that's not a team that's mentioned to win the title because it's, it's a different situation. Do you see a lot of upsets going on in the playoffs with the situation being totally equal? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's all kind of fair game now mm-hmm. you know, for me, obviously we, we, we would like to play basketball and we're still trying to find ways to play basketball. And that's, that's most important as a yes. coach. And in my situation, uh, you know, we've been on vacation for a long time, and even with the activism and, and the protests and things of that nature, uh, that wouldn't preclude me from from being able to coach and, and still do the you know the, the activism. Right. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm still committed to to finding ways for our guys to play, and, and hopefully we get the opportunity. But with regards to the bubble, I think um, you know I think it's fair game. I mean, everybody's been off four months, and they're all going to a neutral site in you know, a neutral court without fans. And you're going to find different advantages. You're going to find um, which guys and teams are the most competitive, uh, which guys and teams are in the best shape. Um, mm-hmm. You know, who, who's had uh, an extended amount of time to get themselves in, in preparation for this. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not ready, there's no, there's no time to really adjust it. They're going to hit the ground running and play eight games and then get right to the playoffs. And so, um, I don't know who that team is. I don't know right. who's in the best shape. I don't know who's worked out the most and who's going to gel the quickest. Um, but I think it is pretty much fair game, more so than obviously we've ever seen. And I expect a lot of surprises. I really do. I expect there to be a lot of surprises when this all happens. 
Wow. And uh, coach, now I've uh, actually I have a segment, uh, a rapid fire segment called Fast Break, which I'm going to introduce in a second. But last question right. before that segment, uh, the West Coast Conference in the 90s, you were part of that, Santa Clara, you know, uh, Loya Marimont with the run, with their running and gunning style started the decade, you know, um, and everything. Then you had Eric Spolstra current NBA head coach who played for Portland, University of Portland. Now it's before your time, actually. Uh, but then when you played at, at uh, Santa Clara, you played against fellow head coach David Fisdale, as well as uh, he was at, say, excuse me, he was at University of San Diego. But there was a gentleman named Mahershala Gilmore that was at St. Mary's uh, University, and he's known as now Mahershala Ali, two-time Academy Award-winning actor. Um, right. So give, give your memories on those matchups with Coach Fisdale, because you know he's fiery. And, yeah. and as well as uh, let, let the audience know what type of basketball player Mahershala Gilmore, now known as Mahershala Ali, was. Yeah, so Fiz was, um, Fiz was kind of a – he was a senior my freshman year and, and mm -hmm. really one of the best point guards in our league, just a mm -hmm. heady guy. Uh, didn't shoot it well, but controlled the game. Knew how to play, controlled the game, excellent floor leader, floor general. Um, so he was he was tough. I mean, he was he was tough just because of his control and his poise on the court. Uh, you know, Hirsch Hirsch Gilmore, Herschel Gilmore is. You know, I didn't even know it was Mahershala, but Herschel Gilmore is how we knew him. Okay, okay. Then um, at St. Mary's, and they were one of our I think top rivals. Gonzaga and St. Mary's were, were pretty good back then. Yep. Kind of went up and down every year back then. Um, and he was similar to me. Like, he was a role player. He shot it well. Uh, decent athlete. You know, I was, I was not a good shooter, but I was a really good athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we both played similar roles. He was a little bit older than me. I think two years older than I, I yep. was. Yep. Um, but, no, I remember him. I'm actually close with, with two of his teammates, Reggie Steele and A.J. Rollins, uh, to this okay. day. And I know Reggie, who is a comedian in the area, you know, he and, he and her, Mahershala, are extremely close and, mm -hmm. and he and I have had some conversations and, you know, he's talked about how, you know, I'm coaching and Mahershala's in, in acting and, and he's just kind of proud of both of us and knowing both of us just to see two, you know, close friends really accelerate their careers. Um, so I've, I don't know Mahershala in that fashion. I, I competed against him obviously, but I don't know him personally in, mm -hmm. in that way. I would love to connect, you know, really, truly an honor to see what he's been able to do on the screen and, and really love his work, you know, yes. it's more than just saying, Hey, he's an actor and he's out there and it's good. But I actually love, you know, how he presents himself on screen and um, to know that we were college opponents uh, <laughs> at one point is, is, is a pretty cool deal. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I have like a, like a six degree of separation connection with him. Cause I went to New York university for right. my masters right. and he was at Tisch and I worked at Tisch and I had, mutual friends with him but and i remember like a couple of times seeing him but we didn't know each other that well but yeah same thing but i think with you you and mahershala you two definitely should link up that that should be easy for yeah. sure so absolutely um but coach before i let you go we have a, a quick segment i do with my with my guests and for whatever sport so if you're a baseball player it'll be hit and run if you're a football player it'll be no huddle but i wanted to um give you a couple of questions and just and we'll do it in rapid fire and everything so all right, here we go. All right, here we go. It's called Fast Break. So now, most unique player you've ever been around? You know, someone that beats to his own drum. Someone that's unique that way. Maybe a la Spaceman in, uh, in Sunset Park. 
<laughs> uh, Delonte West. Okay, wow. And and prayers for him. Do you know how he's doing, actually? Like I don't. We, we've tried to keep tabs from afar. Um, it's been years since I've personally seen him. And uh, yeah. obviously you hear about stuff in the news and the media and, and, and you wish well for him. And, but no, I, I don't. I don't know where he is or how he's doing. Okay, well, definitely praying for him, for sure. Um, now, the album that you play to inspire your activism, because I know you're a hip-hop and R&B <laughs> guy, that album that, that inspires you? Um, you know, if you go recent, you'd probably say... Um, you'd probably say Kendrick Lamar. Ah! Um, to Pimp. To Pimp, to Pimp yeah. Butterfly, yes. Pimp Butterfly. The best uh, album go, of the decade in hip-hop, no doubt. Yeah, for me, if I go old school, you know, the easy answer is to say Public Enemy. Um, takes a nation, right? Takes a nation. Takes a nation, but <laughs> yes, sir. I actually like, uh, I like Goody Mob still standing. Oh, I yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I think it's soulful. I think it's, it's spiritual, and, and I, I kind of like the, uh, the spiritual and soulful element of how they speak to you. Not so much the, you know, it's not about the, the, the march protests or the activism side, but it's really a spiritual soulful, like dig deep within yourself and think about some things. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And Chuck D, uh, I, you know, I got nothing but love for Chuck D. He was a guest also on on Where They At. And uh, he's been a supporter of my music. I'm a professional musician as well. He's always been bigging up my music on Twitter. So Chuck D is such a such a class act, but also a legend, as you mentioned, yep. you know, so for sure. Now, um, which vocalist would you write a song for? CC uh, Winans. Who? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Now, favorite basketball reference in a song. And you don't have to say the lyric verbatim, you know, but yeah. favorite basketball, because we've heard it all time in hip hop, for sure. <laughs> basketball <laughs> reference in a song. Uh, I can't think of that one right now for some reason. Oh, okay. Okay. I got, it's funny. I got two that reference your Hawks players. I love, um, you know, the, the Pete Rock album and Sky Zoo album, Retropolitan, right? Right. Like, uh, like I love when he said, I put 95 my, on my back, like I'm DeAndre Bembry talking, you know, <laughs> like that's a Sky Zoo. <laughs> and then another one with Rhapsody on Black Thoughts album, shouting out Trey Young before even okay. Trey Young played a game in the NBA. Yeah. So that was hot too. <laughs> For sure. So I had to mention your two Hawks guys. All right. Um, now, the one slogan that you live by to this day. Slogan? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell people I'm getting better, helping others get better. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That's, that's a good one for sure. And I think about that as an educator, as a teacher myself, you know. Um, and last, uh, last in, but not least in the fast break segment, the one person dead or alive that you would want to sit down and have lunch with? Um, dead, Muhammad Ali, alive, Will Smith. Mm. Yes, indeed. Two powerful individuals for sure. And, uh, and Coach, Coach Pierce, wow. Um, I thank you for the conversation. I thank you for the insight. Thank you for your passion in uh, not just being 
uh, highly accomplished in basketball, but but being an even better leader and teacher and activist. And uh, that's why I had to have you on, especially on the 25th episode of uh, Where They At. And I thank you for your time, sir. And best of luck to you as you as you ascend as a as a head coach and as a leader. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, man. That's cool. Thank you all for listening to the 25th edition of Where They At with Coach Lloyd Pierce. What a tremendous individual and uh, wise beyond his years. And he's really making an impact, not just on the basketball court with his players as a, as a great coach, but also off the court as someone that's really pushing for change against racial injustice, against uh, police brutality, and, and also trying to build up voting rights too, which is so important because this November election overall is, is really paramount for the future and the direction of this country. So I thank Coach Lloyd Pierce for joining uh, me and also thank the Atlanta Hawks for helping to make this happen. Uh, uh, their, their PR staff is, is just second to none, for sure. Um, and now, if you want to check out other episodes of Where They At, make sure you subscribe and or follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Stitcher so you can be able to, to listen to more of the episodes as i mentioned 25 episodes of where they at and coach pierce is uh the first uh person that i've featured that is current that is not retired also chuck d too as well uh the musician and artist musical artist chuck d uh, is not retired but coach pierce in athletics is someone that that is going to build eventually to a Hall of Fame resume for sure. So make sure you subscribe and or follow where they at and also rate, please rate. That would be great for your support and, and many more episodes will follow as I enjoy interviewing these intriguing individuals. And also if you like the music, check out my website, N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S, nabateisles.com. As you can hear, uh, as you hear excerpts from my album, Eclectic Excursions, and check that out as well and download the album and or stream it. And I'll be back with another episode sooner than later of Where They At. And please remember, be safe, be blessed, stay woke, Black Lives Matter. Thank you all. My name is Nabate Owls. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.